What is a rivalry, really? I've been thinking about that a lot this week as the Packers get ready to play the Lions. Is the competition that exists between the Packers and Lions a rivalry? If we do the middle school book report thing and go directly to the dictionary, I guess you could say they are. This is a rivalry. According to the Merriam-Webster Dictionary, a rival is, quote, one of two or more striving to reach or obtain something that only one can possess, end quote. So by that very basic definition, yes, the Packers and Lions are rivals. They're competing directly against each other for wins, for a division title, for a right to go to the Super Bowl, and ultimately a Super Bowl championship. But digging a little bit deeper, even the dictionary gives some conflicting answers. If you look at the definition that comes next in the Merriam-Webster Dictionary, one that defines rival as an adjective, you get this, quote, one who is having the same pretensions or claims, end quote. To me, that's where the idea of the Packers and rivals being rivals breaks down. They don't have the same pretensions. They don't have the same claims. It's been a while since the Packers and Lions really competed on equal footing. The quasi-division championship in 2016 is probably the closest we're going to get when we look at that comparison. And even that was a bit of an aberration. It also gets lost in the the run-the-table narrative from that season. But that game was really only important because the Lions fell apart down the stretch. The Packers chased them down as they ran the table, sure, but they only had the chance to do so because the Lions fell apart. Now, the games between the Packers and Lions have been a bit of a slog for a while. In fact, that 2016 game might stand out so much just because so many of the other games have been forgettable and bland. Other than that 2016 game, I think the last truly exciting game was probably that snowy Week 17 shootout where Matt Flynn blew up and made a bunch of money from the Seahawks. Since then, you've got a lot of games in the mid-20s, a bunch of ugly turnovers, and a bunch of just kind of meh Sunday afternoons. You've got a couple blowouts on each side as well. And then not a lot else. Even the miracle in Motown in 2015 is a bit tainted in retrospect by the fact that that game only required a miracle finish from the Packers because Aaron Rodgers and the Packers were pretty bad early on. And I think it's a shame that this is how things have become, that we have to ask it all, is this a rivalry? Because it wasn't always this way. The Packers-Lions game in the Lombardi era were heated and featured some great players on both sides. In fact, Lions defensive lineman Alex Karras was so dominant against the Packers that he may have been one of the reasons Jerry Kramer was kept out of the Hall of Fame for so long. Look up Cliff Crystal's work on that for some interesting reading. But even in the early 90s, beating the Lions proved something for the Packers. Taking out Barry Sanders in the playoffs showed that the Packers had arrived And imagine a game between the Packers and Lions today carrying the same amount of weight. It's almost impossible. The Packers have quality rivalries between their other two opponents in the NFC North. And I think it'd be great to see a third rival within the division someday. I just hope we don't have to bring the Buccaneers back in to do it. Blue 58! Hello and welcome to episode 111 of Blue 58 the only podcast to the powersweep.com. I'm your host, John Meerdig. Let's dive right into this week's look at the Detroit Lions. Here are five things for you to think about during Sunday's game. Number one, Detroit's improved running game has gotten a lot of publicity in the lead up to this game, but their receivers should be getting some headlines too. Each of the Lions' top three receivers has been trouble 
for the Packers. In five games against the Packers, Marvin Jones has averaged five catches for 101 yards and a touchdown. In nine games, Golden Tate averages five catches and 68 yards. And in his one game against the Packers, rising star Kenny Galladay caught two passes for 80 yards and a touchdown. Now, fortunately, with Kevin King returning to the lineup, the Packers will have their preferred cornerback group back together for the first time since week one. And on top of that, Bashad Breland may play this weekend for the first time in a Packers uniform. If nothing else, the Packers should be deeper in the secondary than they've been in the recent past. Number two, speaking of that improved running game for the Lions, though, we should talk about Carrion Johnson just for a second. Through the first four weeks of the season, he has rushed for 216 yards. It doesn't sound like a ton, and in some ways, it's not. In a lot of ways, it's not, really. It's barely 50 yards a week, but since 1990, there have only been 17 seasons where a Lions running back has broken 200 yards in the first four weeks of the year. Barry Sanders makes up nine of those 17 seasons, but out of all of them, nobody has gotten to 200 yards on fewer carries than Carrion Johnson. He's only needed 38 to do it so far this year, an average of 5.7 yards per carry. The Lions on defense, as we move to number three, are doing a pretty fantastic job of keeping people from scoring touchdowns when other teams make it to the red zone. Through four games, they're allowing opposing teams to score touchdowns in the red zone just 35.71% of the time. That's third best in the NFL. The Packers are 13th in the league at 50%. Number four, Aaron Jones will probably get a lot more playing time this week and hopefully a lot more carries, and for good reason. The Lions are really bad at stopping the run. But don't sleep on Ty Montgomery either. He's been solid as a runner, averaging 4.5 yards per carry, and excellent as a receiver. His 12.3 yards per catch ranked third in the league among running backs. Number five, the Packers could go into Sunday with three rookie receivers likely to see significant playing time. In his Thursday news conference, Mike McCarthy compared this situation to when the Packers played the Atlanta Falcons in week eight of the 2016 season. In that game, rookies Trevor Davis and Geronimo Allison both both played significant snaps for really the first time and both scored touchdowns on that day as well, as did Jeff Janis for whatever that's worth. Offensive coordinator Joe Philbin echoed some of McCarthy's ideas, saying sooner or later these guys are going to have to step up and play anyway. There's no substitute for real live game reps against you know quality NFL players. Um, now they get a lot of reps in practice, and they've gotten a lot of reps since May 3rd or whenever you know OTAs, training camp, et cetera, et cetera. But um, you know uh, they're all they've all got talent. Um, they've all come a long way. Um, and at some point, you know, you got to find out a little bit more about, you know, with players exactly what you have. Starting to look like that could be this week. So who could be an X factor this week? Well, as tempting as it would be to say one of those rookie receivers, I think you have to go with Jimmy Graham. If they've ever needed Jimmy Graham, the Packers, that is, it's now. With Geronimo Allison probably out and Randall Cobb and Devontae Adams both looking to be limited at best, Graham is the only one of the Packers' preferred top four receivers to be a full go for this week, such as that is, even he missed practice on Wednesday. The Packers need the game-changing performance Graham gave them against the Vikings this week. What happened the last time the Packers and Lions played? Well, it wasn't super exciting. The Packers last met the Lions in week 17 of the 2017 season, and it was a pretty forgettable afternoon on all fronts. 
Detroit scored a 35-11 victory thanks to an effortless 20-29 of passing day for Matt Stafford, who finished with 323 yards and three touchdowns. He also caught a two-point conversion for good measure. On the Packers' side, about the only noteworthy thing that happened was Devontae Mays achieved his career-long run of two yards. That run also was one of the two carries in his brief Packers career where he did not fumble the ball. So that tells you what kind of day that was for the Packers. Who's going to win this Sunday? Well, as we talked about at the start of the show, Packers games in Detroit tend to be a bit of a slog. The two teams both lack a firm identity at this point in the season as well. Neither one has really done much to inspire any kind of confidence. A line favoring the Packers by about a point and a half feels pretty much right. I think the Packers win 26-24 in a game that turns on some kind of awkward turnover. Survey updates. Voters, well, in our weekly poll, weren't overly confident in the Packers' chances this week either. 79% rated their confidence in a win at three or higher. It's actually only slightly higher than last week against the Bills, but still overall just the third highest confidence ranking of the season. Perhaps that that is reflective of some how some people felt about last week's win. Uh, while the prevailing narrative this week seemed to be that the win over the Bills was nothing super special, one in three voters in our poll described themselves as very satisfied with that victory. So take that for what that's worth. The shutout definitely boosted opinions of Mike Pettin. A perfect 100% of voters described themselves as somewhat or very happy with the defensive coordinator after he and his side of the ball blanked the Bills. Even Mike McCarthy got a boost from the apparent uh, lackluster win. After 64% of voters described some kind of negative feeling about the head coach last week, 55% of respondents now say their opinion is somewhat or very positive. Like John Madden always said, winning is great deodorant. One last thought before I let you go into the weekend. I can't let this preview go by without spending at least a second on those Lions gray monstrosities last year. If you haven't seen or last week, excuse me, if you haven't seen what they wore in their game last Sunday, take a second and look that up. It's something else. I think it's funny to look at those uniforms as well and look back at the feeling surrounding the news that Nike was going to take over as the official uniform supplier of the NFL. To say there was a little bit of concern about that is to probably undersell it a little bit. I read a lot of people concerned that they were going to turn the NFL into some sort of Nike showcase, a lot like we see on a lot of college Saturdays. I mean, Oregon doesn't even wear the same uniform twice. But instead, we've really just gotten a lot of bland, kind of boring uniforms. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers redesign is really the only one that approaches, I don't want to use the word exciting. Um, It's not even interesting. It's certainly shocking. And it's really the only uniform that they've designed that approaches that. Looking at those Lions uniforms, you have to stop and think, couldn't they have done a little bit better? They're not even interesting. They're just gray and kind of blah. Those are my uniform thoughts. That's what I think about the Packers-Lions game coming up this weekend. What do you think? Reach out to us on Facebook or on Twitter or via email or just leave a comment on this post or the you know blog post version of this. You can't leave a comment on a podcast. You know how this works. Reach out. Let us know. Other than that, we'll just watch the game with you on Sunday and see how this goes. I'm looking forward to it. I hope you are as well. This season has certainly been interesting. Can't say it's been boring. We'll see you on Monday as we recap the Packers-Lions game. Go Packers. We'll see you then. Blue, 58, 10, 10.